0: What's up, Porch? How are we doing tonight? Hey, it is uh, It's so good to see you. Hope that all is well. If this is your first time ever, I'm so glad you made it. Thank you for trusting us with your Tuesday night. My name is Timothy Atik, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here uh, on Tuesday nights as well as Sunday mornings. And I do want to give a shout-out to all the Porch Live locations that are watching right now. I want to say a special hello to Porch Live Indy, Porch Live Greater Lafayette, Porch Life Tulsa. So glad that you're tuning in tonight. I hope that all is well with you. Uh, Here's the reality. If you've been at the porch for a little bit, then you have heard me share often about my years in my days as a young adult. And I just figure it is worth you having a visual of what I looked like when I was 24. So let me just show you a picture you can get just an image in your head that uh, I don't know why you're laughing. That's super offensive. <laughs> so one person saw this earlier, and she said, "If I saw you standing on the side of the road, I would be scared." And that was hurtful. Um, those shorts. I did not cut those off. I bought them that way from Abercrombie and Fitch. Thank you very much. I was wearing those chacos, and uh, I don't know what else to say about it, guys. That just God did a great work in my life since then. That's, I think, what I can say about that. Here's what you need to know: is that picture actually uh, was taken at a time when I was in Europe right after the Lord wrecked my life and and began rebuilding it. So when I look at that picture, I kind of see past the cut-off khaki shorts. I see past the chacos. I see past the hair. I see past all of that. And I see all of the goodness that God had done in my life over the past month that I had been uh, out of the country. Because uh, a month before that, my life had really crashed into rock bottom. Due to compromising decisions. I was living in the midst of a bunch of unnecessary pain. A couple of weeks ago I told you that there's a difference between unavoidable pain and unnecessary pain. Unavoidable pain is the pain that will find you. You don't have to go looking for it. It will track you down. But then there's unnecessary pain. And it's what comes from compromising decisions in your life. I tell you that because when I look back to when I was 24... There's various things that I can look back and I can say, I'm so glad that I did that. Like, I'm so glad that I took that trip to Europe with friends. I'm, I'm so glad that I did some spontaneous road trips. I'm so glad that I went back to A&M to watch some football games. Like, there's a lot of things that I did when I was 24 that I'm glad I did. I'm glad that I jumped in and volunteered with Lake Highlands Young Life and invested in high school kids. And at the same time... There's various things that I can look back at that I did when I was 24, and I look back and I just think, what was I thinking? And so the reason that I bring that up is what's interesting is if you think about where you're at right now, whether you're 27 or 32, or you just graduated college and you just moved to Dallas, what's interesting is 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to look back onto this moment. You're going to look back on who you were at 2023, and you're going to have a picture of yourself, and you're going to see it, and it's going to jog your memory about the life you were living right now. And there's going to be things that you're going to look back, and you're going to think, I'm so glad I did that. And then there's going to be other things that you're actually doing right now in your life. 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you're going to look back on this time, this season, and you're going to say, What was I thinking? Isn't that crazy to think about? You're going to think, What was I thinking? Like, why did I date him? Why did I date her? Why did I go there? That was such a terrible idea. What was I thinking? And so there's been various times in my life where people have asked me, hey, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you tell your younger self? And so that's what I want to do tonight. I want to share with you five things that I would share with my young adult self. Like if I could go back and talk to 24-year-old Timothy Atik, there's five things that I would share with him. And what's interesting is the five things that I'm going to share aren't my own. Like this is not my own material, they just come straight out of the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. They actually come from King Solomon. If you're new to the porch, we've been in a series walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. You might not be familiar with Ecclesiastes, but it's considered wisdom literature, which means it can show you how to live a wise life. It was written by one of the wisest people to ever walk on the face of the earth. It is, it is highly applicable to the lives of young adults. In fact, right there at the end of the book, you know what it is? is? It is King Solomon who is old in life, and he's basically giving his swan song to the next generation. He is speaking into the lives of young adults. And what we're going to see King Solomon say to the next generation And what ends up being the five things that I would say to my young adult self are the things that I want to share with you tonight. The five things that we're going to see from King Solomon is this. I'll share them with you now and then we'll begin to walk through it. First, before you follow your heart, you need a new and cultivated heart. Number two, embrace where God has you. Number three, today is the best day to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. Number four, your view of God determines your response to God. And number five, never get over the gospel. That's what we're going to unpack tonight. If I could go back and talk to my 24-year-old self, that's what I would tell him. And that's what I hope you hear tonight. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to start in eleven. And then we're going to go through the end of the book, and we're going to finish our series tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is where we're going to find our first truth, which is before you follow your heart, you need a new and cultivated heart. So, From King Solomon talking to the next generation, that is what he wants you to know. Look at what he says in verse 9. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, look, your young adult years, they are great years. Like, enjoy them make the most of the years that you have right now. Like don't let these years slip by. That's what he's saying when he says, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. And then he goes on and watch what he says. He says, walk in the ways of your heart. We might say in our day, follow your heart. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So this is very interesting because what Solomon is doing is he's like putting bumpers on the bowling alley lane. He's like, look, there is, there's room for, for you to take, there, there's a fairway. And there are bumpers that will keep you on track. The reason I say that is he says, follow your heart. But just remember that God will bring you into judgment. So when Solomon says, follow your heart, and when he says, walk in the, in the sight of your eyes, here's what he's getting at. He's saying, look, you have more freedom right now than you will ever have in your life. And I know some of you guys are crushing 60 hours a week, but here's what I'm really saying. What I'm saying is, you will only gain more responsibility the older you get. Like if you get married, you're going to have a wife. If you have kids, you're going, to have a, uh, you're going to have a husband or wife and kids. And you might work your way up in your job. I was talking to, to, to one guy in his 60s recently. And he was like, I had worked myself to a place where I had five kids at home and 20 kids at work. What was he saying? He was like, my life was full. Of responsibility. But right now, in your young adult years, this is the most free you'll ever be. So what Solomon is saying is, even though you are still busy... Responsibility is only going to increase. So don't waste this time. Don't miss it because you're full of passion. The heart is like the control center of your being. It speaks to your thoughts and your desires, your motivations, your dreams. And so what Solomon is saying is, hey, you've got dreams, you've got ambitions, you've got desires, and you should pursue those. Don't wait till some, someday... When it feels like all the stars align for you to finally follow your passions and follow your ambitions, he's saying, do it Do it now. When he says, walk, walk in the sight of your eyes, your eyes are the way that you perceive opportunity. So Solomon is saying, look, if you're, if you're beholding opportunity, step into it. Let's go. Don't wait around. Don't wait for someday. Today is the day. Get moving. Do it. And at the same time, he puts bumpers on it and he says, just remember though, for all of these things, remember, God will bring you into judgment. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, like follow your passions, but just remember God cares about your passions. Follow your dreams, but remember, God cares about your dreams and your opportunities. Not every passion or dream or opportunity is worth following. God cares about how you live now. So that's why the point is, before you follow your heart, you need a new and cultivated heart. What I'm really saying is, before you follow your dreams, you just need to make sure that they're godly dreams. And before you follow your desires, you just need to make sure that they're godly desires. We live in a day and time where we love the idea of just doing what feels right. But let's just be clear, sometimes really bad things are going to feel really good. Like things that lead to really major brokenness in your life can feel really good at different points. So it's just good to have and understanding of our hearts. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is described as deceitful, like your heart, apart from Jesus, it will deceive you, and it will lead you to do dumb things. But the good news of the gospel is that we are promised a new heart in Jesus. That's why I say, before you follow your heart, you need a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So when you come to know Jesus Christ, you're not a bad person that becomes good. You're a dead person that becomes new. And part of that is that you're given a new heart, which has new desires And so your dreams become more in line with God's dreams for you. Your desires become more in line with God's desires for you. But before you follow your heart, you don't just need a new heart. You need a cultivated heart. Here's what I mean. God might put a new heart within you, but that heart needs to be cultivated. Like you're not just going to magically trust in Jesus and then Everything always in your life is just about Jesus. Like you wake up every morning and all you want to do is be where Jesus is. And all you want to do is what Jesus wants you to do. No, there's still a battle inside of you. So that heart has to be cultivated by Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, let me explain it this way. I, I'm a big Dallas Cowboys football fan. Like I don't know if there's any Cowboys fans... I don't know what your team is. Whoever your team is, you can just apply it to your situation. But I want you, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about this. What if the Cowboys are on offense, and they got into the huddle, and Dak Prescott was like, here's what I'm thinking, guys. Everybody, just follow your heart. <laughs> like, that's what I'm going to do? I'm going to follow my heart? Pollard, what are you thinking? You going to follow your heart behind me? Great. C.D. Lamb, what are you thinking? You're going to go out and follow your heart? Whatever you want to do. Offensive line, what are you thinking? Don't tell me. Follow your heart. We'll just see what happens. Can you imagine how chaotic that would be? It would be crazy if Dak was like, I'm going to follow my heart. Everyone, you just do whatever you want to do, and it's going to be great. It won't be great because you actually have an opposing team that has been watching film on how to take you down. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. We have an enemy who is seeking to take us down. And so when we just do whatever we want to do, a lot of times it doesn't go well. What do you see Dak Prescott doing in between each play? If you watch him, you're going to see him covering up his ears. Why? Because there's comms in his helmet and his coach is calling the play. If the comm's not working, he's going to look to the sideline to get the play. Do you know what it looks like to cultivate your heart? To cultivate your heart is to consistently look to the sideline. You look to the coach to call the play. God is the coach. He is the one who is after our joy. He wants us to walk in fullness of joy. But that fullness of joy comes from our desires, our dreams, our motivations being driven by him. So when Solomon says, get going, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, what he's saying is, hey, when your heart and your sight are aligned with God, something amazing can happen in your young adult years. But what does it look like to look to the sidelines? Well, number one, you got to come to Jesus. Like if you don't know Jesus, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, like you're just checking this things out. this thing out, you thought it was a restaurant and it's actually a church. You got tricked, but you're still, you're here, so you might as well explore. Come to Jesus. Put your trust in him. But don't just come to Jesus. Live surrendered to Jesus. Don't just make Jesus your savior. Let him be your king. Let him reign in your life. And then submit to his word. You can't know God's ways without knowing his word. Don't just know what other people say. Know what God says. He's the coach. He calls the plays, and, and then walk with others. Invite other Jesus followers into your life who can help you identify, hey, I don't think that that desire is in line with God's desires. Don't follow your heart in this situation because it's going to mislead you. So if I were to talk to my young adult self, here's what I would tell him. I would just say, before you follow your heart, you need a new and cultivated heart. The second thing that I would tell him is I would just say, embrace where God has you. Embrace it. When I say embrace, I am saying hug the place where God has you now. Look at what, look at what Solomon says in verse 10. He says, remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body for your youth in the dawn of life Our vanity, I want to break down what he's saying here. When he says the dawn of life, that can be translated the prime of life. You are in the prime of life right now. Congratulations, you made it. You're there. You are officially in the prime of life. That word dawn, it literally means black or blackened. It's talking about the hair. Like you're in the stage of life where there is no gray hair yet. What's that like? Been a minute since I was there. But he's saying, look, the dawn of life, youth and the dawn of life, they're vanity. That word vanity, it's the word that's used most in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the Hebrew word hevel. It literally means mist or vapor. So it's like that, that steam that comes out of your mouth on a cold day. It's like trying to catch that. It's impossible. It's so fleeting. So Solomon's point is your youthfulness, the prime of life, it is so fleeting. It will flash by. What's crazy is this is, how, this is how young adulthood goes. You graduate from college, and for the first 10 years after you graduate college, you feel like you just graduated college. But think about this. If you're 25 you were a freshman in college seven years ago. Seven years ago. If you're 30, you were a freshman in college 12 years ago. That's how fast time moves. It flies by. And so Solomon's point is, hey, the prime of life goes fast, so don't don't spend all of your time missing out on joy during the season. Instead, what does he say? He says, remove vexation. Do you know what vexation is? It's referring to unnecessary emotional anxiety and frustration. Saying, don't, don't spend all of the prime of your life frustrated. And yet I feel like So many young adults spend all of their young adult years frustrated, waiting for the next season of life to come. Like they will truly be satisfied and happy in the next chapter, but not in this chapter. And that was me. That 24-year-old you saw in that picture, I hated being single, hated it. I actually had a friend, my my best friend, here's what he told me. He said, you are just happier when you're in a relationship. Why? Because I needed that. I needed a girl in my life to feel valuable, to feel that companionship, to have those plans, to feel wanted. I needed that to feel satisfied. And so in all of the days that I was single, I was frustrated and I wonder if that's you. I wonder if you're just frustrated. You look around at other people and you're frustrated. Maybe it's not about a relationship. Maybe you're just you're, you're frustrated that you're not in the job that you want to be. Like I know a lot of young adults, they graduate college, they get their first job, they're really excited about it, they're finally making their own money, and then you get into the job and you're like, wait a second, there is no more summer break. Like spring break isn't a thing. Like this is just... This is your life now. And you're like, this this job, like there is so many layers of management above me and this feels like it's not fully maximizing who I am as a person. And so you get three months in and you're like, oh my gosh, I only have nine more months until my apartment lease is up. Because you're just ready to move on to the next thing. You're frustrated. Let me just encourage you. Don't spend all of your young adult years longing for the next thing. Embrace where God has you now. And let me just tell you, the best way to experience more joy with where God has you now, stop looking around and comparing yourself to other people. Stop comparing. Stop comparing how much money you have versus how much they have. Stop being frustrated that they have the Tesla and you don't. Stop being frustrated that they take the extravagant vacations to Europe and you don't. Stop getting frustrated that they get to go out to eat and go to happy hour and buy drinks more than you get to. Embrace where God has you. It is what it is. And God has good plans for you now. He wants to do something in your life now. And so don't miss it. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Like, it's, it's okay if you're single and you want to be married. That's a good desire. You don't need to do this thing where you're like, okay, God, like, I don't want anyone. I mean, he looks amazing, but I don't even want him. No, like, you don't need to, let's not be fake. It's okay to acknowledge he would be nice. She would she sounds great. But like I'm not going to I'm not going to bank on a relationship. I'm not going to I'm not going to bet all of my joy on a relationship. Okay, find your joy in Jesus and where he has you right now. Okay? Number 3. Today is the best day to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. If I could talk to 24-year-old T.A., that's what I would tell him. I would say, today is the best day to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. And you might be like, I know your story. Weren't you in seminary at the time? Yeah, and you know what happened to me? I let serving Jesus replace knowing Jesus. And so what I would tell him is I would say, today is the best day to wholeheartedly follow Jesus and know Jesus. Watch this. This is chapter 12. Chapter 12 is masterful. Okay, watch what Solomon says. Verse 1, he says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So what's he saying? He's saying right now, while you're still young in your young adult years, like remember your creator now before you get old. Because when you're old, it's not nearly as enjoyable. Life is not nearly as enjoyable as it is now. And what's interesting is he he refers to God as creator. Why? Because he's trying to transport us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible at creation, where everything was perfect. And Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God, where they saw God face to face, and they enjoyed his presence. And yet what happened is they rebelled against God. And because they rebelled against God, they were removed from the presence of God. They could no longer walk by sight. They had to walk by faith. And so sin had broken into the picture and fractured our relationship with God. And yet what Jesus has done is he has come. And what he's done is he's come to repair that broken relationship that each one of us has with God. And he's come so that we could begin to taste what life was like with God in the garden. That's why he says, remember also your creator. Because he's saying, look, I want you to taste what Adam and Eve experienced at creation. You can experience nearness with God. You can experience his presence. You can experience intimacy and joy. Just being with him. So when he says, remember your creator, what he's not saying is, hey, every Tuesday night check in with God. No, what he's saying is, walk with him now, passionately pursue him now, enjoy him wholeheartedly now. Do it now before the evil days and years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. What he's talking about is, he's talking about getting old. And then in verses 2 through 7, Solomon shares this poem about getting old. And it's one long run-on sentence. And the idea is that if you were to just read this thing straight through, you would be out of breath. And the idea is that it's like as your breath runs out, it's like the clock runs out on your life. So just watch what he says. He says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. You know what he's saying? He's saying like, the older you get, the darker your days get. And like one storm is going to hit your life. And just as that storm is passing, there's new clouds already coming in. Like the older you get, you get to a point where it's just like one health issue after the next, and you're going to doctors that you can't even pronounce the name of their ologist, you know, like it's, it's too hard to say, and you're going to specialists after specialists, and you're going to way more funerals than you're going to weddings. You're burying more and more friends. He's like, don't wait till that day to start walking with God. Then he goes on, verse three. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, he's talking about your arms and your hands. Like a day is coming where your arms and hands, they're gonna shake and you don't want them to shake. Like my aunt is 92 and she jokes because she's got a tremor in her hand and she's like, I can't hold a hamburger because by the time it got to my mouth, all of the fixings will be gone. But it's a tremor that she didn't ask for, but that's just a part of her being 92. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, that's talking about your legs. The older you get, your legs get bent, and you begin to walk hunched over. In the grinders, those are your teeth, your grinders cease because they are few. He's saying your teeth fall out. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. Your eyesight begins to fade. It goes bad. Don't wait till then to finally start walking with Jesus. Verse 4: In the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. That's talking about your ears, that you become more and more hard of hearing. And watch this. In one rises up at the sound of a bird. It's like that bird chirps once, and you're like, whoa, 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 what's happening? What's happening? Like my 92-year-old aunt, we were, I was staying with her last month or at the beginning of this month. You know what she said? She wakes up at 3.30 in the morning because she can't sleep past 3.30. That's just her reality. She doesn't set an alarm. That is just when you get, the older you get, the harder it is to sleep. All the daughters of song are brought low. That's talking about the vocal cords that no longer have the elastic strength. Verse 5, they are afraid also of what is high. It's like, that's too high. Can you reach that for me? I'm kind of scared of what could happen. Like what I will pull, just trying to reach for it. And terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. Almond trees. uh, Almond trees are pale in the springtime. This is talking about someone's hair which has turned white with age. The grasshopper dr- drags itself along. What an image. There's just, there's no spring in your step anymore. It's like just to, to walk is kind of a miserable process. And then he goes on. And he's like, and desire fails, which is so interesting that Solomon, the guy with hundreds of wives and concubines, is like even in the old age. The thing that I couldn't get enough of has finally dissipated. Like even my sexual desire is gone. He's saying as an old man. He says, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Verse 6 says, before the silver cord is snapped. He's describing here... A well from which you draw water. He's saying before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern, what's his point? All of these things work together to draw up life-giving water. And he's like, the things that hold life-giving water are broken. It's like your body, the you reach a point in life where your body is no longer capable of holding life and you die. And so he says in verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. In verse 8, this is the refrain that he started the book with. He says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, it is all, all is vanity. He's just saying, look, your life is, is so fleeting. I know you're in a stage of life where you feel like you're going to live forever and you're always going to have your strength and you're always going to be able to run a marathon and you're always going to be able to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. And that day is going to be so painful if you wait until that day where you can't function like you want to function. And you wait till that day to finally find Jesus. He's saying, don't waste your youth. There's never been a better time to walk with God. Walk with God now when you still have strength in your hands to serve people. Walk with God now while your legs still work well and you can go and you can be a messenger to the roughly 3 billion people in the world that have never heard the name of Jesus. Know Jesus now while you can still behold beautiful things. You can behold creation And your heart can well up with with joy at just beholding all that God has created. Like while your vocal cords are still strong, worship Jesus now when you can sing at the top of your lungs. Today is the best day to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. And I just want to be clear with you. I just want to speak to you to make sure you know this is why you exist. You exist to know Jesus and to make him known. That's what the point and purpose of your life is. It all boils down to that. That's why Paul says in Colossians 1:16, he says for by him talking about Jesus all things were created, which is interesting because Solomon in the Old Testament says remember your creator. Well, Paul says, "Well, do you know who was involved in creation? Jesus." It says, For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus. And watch this all things were created for Jesus. You were created for Jesus. The reason you exist is to know Jesus. I'll explain it this way. Some of y'all might have heard this before. I always have my iPhone with me on stage. Why does the iPhone exist? The iPhone exists to put the the world at your fingertips. Like you can see someone face to face and you can have a conversation with anyone in the world without actually being in person. You can get a date without leaving your house. Like just one swipe could change your life. The iPhone exists to put the world at your fingertips. Now, you can... You can live like the iPhone exists for a different purpose, right? Like if the table's wobbly, you could jam your iPhone under there and be like, man, that works really well. Or you can flip it over on your coffee table and you're like, man, this is a great coaster. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but it just works well as a coaster. You can use the iPhone for a different purpose, but it doesn't change the fact that the iPhone is most fully fulfilling the purpose for which it's been created when it is putting the world at your fingertips, And the same is true for you. You have been made to know Jesus. That is why you exist. And you can live as if you exist for a different purpose. You can live as if you exist to be a millionaire by 30. You can live as if you exist to get a ring on your finger. You can live as if you exist to be the top person in your company or to run your own thing. You can live as if you exist to complete an uh, Ironman triathlon. You can live like that's why you exist, but it doesn't change the fact that you will be most fully alive and most fully functioning when you fulfill the purpose for which you've been created, which is to know Jesus Christ intimately. And so I'll just say this. Do you want to know where regret is found? Regret is found in getting to 40 and still sitting in spiritual diapers. Because you've just never taken the time to grow up in your faith. Because you want to run to everything else because you think that there's more life, more joy, more satisfaction out there than there is with Jesus. And so if I could tell 24-year-old Timothy Attique something, I would just say, look, today is the best day to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. The fourth thing that I would tell tell my younger self is this, is I would just say, look, a good, a good truth to live by is this. Your view of God determines your response to God. Hopefully, you've heard me say that multiple times before. But I say that because Solomon brings it up. Your view of God determines your response to God. That is the greatest single truth that I learned in my late 20s as a young adult. I learned it right around the age of 29, and I wish that at 29, I could have gone back to my 24-year-old self and just said, look, your view of God will determine your response to God and that truth will change everything. Solomon says right at the end of the book, skip down to verse 13, what does he say? He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, look, this is what it all boils down to. Solomon, the wisest guy in the world, the, guy who, the wealthiest guy in the world, the guy who had probably had more sex than anyone else in the world. He says, look, here's the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. This is what life comes down to. It comes down to, to fearing God and keeping his commandments. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God talks about your view of God. What he's saying is live with a right view of God. He says, keep his commandments. He's talking about your response to God. Have the right response to God. What I want you to learn at the, whatever age you're at right now, is that the two go hand in hand. Your view of God will actually determine your response to God. If you have a big view of God, you're going to have a big response to God. If you're sitting there right now and you feel like you're having a small response to God, you wake up in the morning, you don't want to spend time with God, you feel too busy for God, when you show up here you're not interested in worshiping Him, you know what the problem is? You're having a small response because you have a small view. This is how all relationships work. When you find a guy who is head over heels about a girl, like he'll watch any Nicholas Sparks movie with her, and he's like, it's got a good plot. No, it doesn't. Like, you know what's happened there? He's got such a big view of the girl that he has a big response to her. But what happens? Why does a. What happens when that view of a person changes? You stop texting? You start ghosting? Why? Your view determines your response. You know what? For so much of my young adult life, I lived under the the banner of this is what I should do spiritually. I should read my Bible. I should go to church. I should pray. Do you know why it was a bunch of shoulds? Do you want to know why it was a bunch of discipline? Without much delight, because I was operating, I was trying to have a big response with a small view. And everything changed. When I began to fight for the biggest view of God possible, it changed my response. Solomon says, fear God, keep His commandments. That's what it all boils down to. So my encouragement for you is fight for the biggest view of God possible every day. And just watch what happens to your response. And then the final thing that I would tell myself, my 24-year-old self, is this. Never get over the gospel. Never get over the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at what verse 14 says. Solomon ends the whole book by saying, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And then the book ends. That's it. He ends by saying God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What a a bad note to end on. It's so unsettling. Someday you're going to stand before God and everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done is going to be revealed by God. The reason I would tell my younger self never get over the gospel is because if you know Jesus Christ, then you don't have to fear that day that you stand before God. Why? Because when you know Jesus Christ, when you understand what He's done for you on the cross, that His body was broken and His blood was shed on the cross to make payment for all of your sins, all of your imperfections. And when He rose from the dead, it was a demonstration that He had taking care of all of your failures. When you know Jesus Christ in a personal way, do you know what happens is all of your failures are cleansed. They are dealt with by Jesus. So when you stand before God, the blood of Christ has washed you clean. But not just that. Like today, the reason I say never get over the gospel is because today, because of what Christ has done and because of faith in Him, He's actually put His Spirit inside of you so that you can live a life pleasing to God. And so when you stand before God, there's going to be plenty of things that are revealed that just shows how amazing and powerful the Spirit of God was working through you to make you more like Jesus. And even now, in the moments when we fail, God's grace is sufficient. So even when we fail, we can look to the cross and the empty tomb to know that Christ's death, Christ's burial, Christ's resurrection is enough, even for our failures today. Never get over the gospel. Never get over the gospel. And some of you are sitting there saying, I, couldn't, I, I don't even have the chance to get over it because I've never truly understood it. And so I just say, if you are not a Christian and you are here tonight and you are understanding for the first time that when you stand before God, you don't just cross your fingers and hope for the best. Either you will stand before God and you will have to answer for your sin or you will stand before God and Jesus Christ will have already answered for it. And so your hope is either in Jesus or you're gonna cross your fingers and hope for the best. And I promise you, The scripture is clear. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And yet Jesus Christ's invitation to you tonight is to come, to give your life to him, and you can experience complete forgiveness for your sin tonight. So I'll close just kind of where I started. I just want you to think 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now, you're going to look back to where you are right now in 2023. What if you could say, what if you could look back to this season of life and say, I'm so glad that in 2023, God gave me a new heart. In 2023, I cultivated my heart for the Lord. So I followed my heart because it was a heart that was aligned with God. What if you could say, I embraced where God had me, and I'm so glad that I did because I didn't sit there in frustration. I just said yes to where God had me in 2023. What if you could say, that's when I really went for it. That's when I started wholeheartedly following Jesus, and I'm so glad I did. What if you could say, that's when I began fighting for the biggest view of God possible, and it has changed my response to him and what if you could look back and say that's when I really began to appreciate the gospel not just as my ticket into heaven but as the way that heaven has been getting into me every day for 10, 15, 20 years may we be a people who walk wisely where joy is maximized and unnecessary pain is minimized why because we know the king Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. If you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ I don't want to miss an opportunity just to give you a chance to pray. The way that we express faith to God Romans ten nine says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that, Christ, that God raised him from the dead then you will be saved. So I just encourage you now to just say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life tonight? Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead for me. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you begin to lead me in a new life? for the rest of us, what, what's God saying to you tonight? Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, okay, this is it. This is the day. Today is finally the day that I'm going to start wholeheartedly following Jesus. Maybe there's desires, motivations, passions that you know are not aligned with the Lord that you just need to confess. Maybe your view of God is small and you just want to say, God, would you expand my view of you tonight? Or maybe you just want to say, God, thank you for the good news of the gospel, that it's enough. Do business with the Lord now. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all you've done. We respond to you now.